With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, Sam. We are. Nice shirt. Thank you. This is Miami Magic, Fitzmagic. We need him to win the job because just otherwise... Just to sell more shirts. Well, otherwise... No, not even just to sell more, but otherwise this shirt sort of loses its shelf just life. throw Rosen's face on it and if, throw a beard on him. If Josh Rosen is the starting quarterback, this suddenly you know loses a lot of its impact. It's a pretty lucrative revenue stream for us right now. Right. So. Everybody buy a shirt for uh, Fitzmagic. Whether you're a Dolphins fan or not, who cares? Uh, this is your NFC West season preview. This is 8 out of 8. I don't think we forgot any divisions. Did we forget anything? Uh, AL Cent- uh, AFC Central? AFC Central. We did the AFC other West, Central. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is we got everybody, the last right? West. So this is it. Sorry, West fans. But, you know, we're going to wrap it up with the NFC West preview. We're live on YouTube, which, by the way, our forecast friends... Went live yesterday. Yeah. I was nervous. Yeah. I had Neil was like upstairs yesterday. The scene was Neil being relaxed and calm and telling me everything's going to be okay and me being on edge because George and Eric were going live. And, you know, I'm just saying, historically, we have to use the edit button with them just a little bit. Yes. We, it, there was the removal of any kind of five-second delay facility was, was worrying. Yeah. So the fact that Neil was the voice of reason upstairs was uh, just a fascinating turn of events. Major upset. So uh, anything else? Or do you want to just get right into it? Uh, no, let's, let's roll, Steve. Let's get into it. It's week four of the preseason, but we're looking to the regular season. NFC West preview. Starting with the Arizona Cardinals, one of the teams that we have said all offseason, we're going to be keeping a close eye on them because it's a complete rebuild. Cliff Kingsbury comes in. Kyler Murray comes in. They drafted a whole bunch of guys that we liked. So, you know, a lot to, uh, a lot to see 
in Arizona this year? How's it all going to come together? Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating. I think obviously Kyler Murray has been a little bit up and down in preseason so far. The more interesting thing is has been less kind of what Kyler Murray looks like in preseason and more what the offense is going to look like because you know we were speculating all offseason how hardcore air raid is this system going to look like is it going to be full of empty sets is it going to be nothing but wide receivers all day and preseason presumably isn't going to show us the full breadth of what this offense is but it's probably given us a reasonable idea of what their base look if you like is and it's been a lot less sort of 10 personnel one back zero tight ends all the wide receivers right then i think a lot of people were saying it might be um, it's been way more 11 personnel, but deployed slightly differently, you know, deployed as more of a spread look um, with the one running back in the backfield. I don't think it's going to be quite the radical departure from NFL norms that it could have been. Um, and that's been the sort of, I think, the takeaway so far from preseason. Yeah, so they're not, yeah, so it's not that full four wide like we thought, you know, that that, that it could have been. You mentioned Kyler Murray. Uh, didn't throw the ball down the field a ton in his first two games. Ball was coming out of his hand okay. Week one, week two was, eh. He was missing a few throws and looked a little uncomfortable. And then last week bounced back against the Minnesota Vikings, made a few nice throws. So uh, Kyler was number one on our draft board. I think, you know, because we thought he had top 10 caliber potential, I do think you'll start to see his rushing ability, his scrambling ability once the regular season hits. I'm really interested in, the schematic part of the air raid or whatever you want to call it that that cliff's bringing in they are using those wider splits up front on the offensive line and week two against oakland was a disaster as far as handling stunts and pressure and various things like that so that's what i want to see schematically you know, it's kind of like Steve Spurrier came in and he had this really high octane passing offense i don't know do our listeners even remember that no God, there's no, no shot right no yeah, so uh, that was in the 2000s, guys, the early 2000s. They know if Steve Spurrier is the uh, AAF coach. Champion AAF coach. Yeah, sure. He said something last week where that he put that right up there with all of his SEC championships. Really? Legit statement. Huh. Yeah. Okay. That's what they do in Orlando. They just make up fake championships, UCF. Wow. Um, so anyway, Spurrier comes in, and the biggest issue with him was pass protection. He just couldn't adjust to the NFL from a pass protection standpoint. So I want to see how Arizona handles that. It can go two ways, right? You've got this offensive line that was a disaster last year, gave up a ton of pressure. Josh Rosen was getting killed back there. It's, it, they're either going to be protected by the scheme, quick passing game, the wider splits will help, or it's going to be a system that you know doesn't handle the NFL that well, and defensive coordinators will always be one step ahead or they can't adjust to the defense. So I just want to see what happens up front. Yeah, I mean, that's the big concern with this offense, or probably the biggest question mark in it, is how that offensive line, how the pass protection is going to be. Because even just from a personnel standpoint, that starting five doesn't look great. Um, then you add in the extra wrinkle of they're going to be running with these wider splits. It's going, they're going to be doing something unusual for the NFL level. A, how well does that conceptually work at this level? And B, how well do the players that aren't great to begin with right. adjust to that? Because right. the second you're asking them to do something they're not used to doing, you're going to cause some kind of problem. So, yeah, generally how that pass protection is going to hold up over the season, I think is going to go a long way toward determining how successful this offense is, certainly in year one. The funny thing is, last year we said 
the offensive line on paper could have been a creep back toward average candidate because you got to get like Justin Pugh when he's been healthy has been pretty decent but I mean these guys didn't play well and they were banged up and it was a disaster but right now they brought in Marcus Gilbert to play right tackle the one of the you know classic mid-tier tackles that could improve that unit DJ Humphreys has shown mid-tier capabilities you know maybe slightly below average for Humphreys uh you've got Mason Cole Justin Pugh Sweezy's uh, been below average so on pa- in paper it's not a disaster but you need kind of like best case scenario across the board for that to be a good line yeah. Mike is uh cranking out the creep back toward average t-shirts in the store today oh are they really happening oh, yeah crap. we had a request yeah, yeah they're coming out today would you guys buy that we're gonna have let to us know because they're coming creep back toward average yeah the o-line how's he gonna make it i w- see i was thinking you just get like an o-line with uh you just like the circles and they're just all yellow hmm. okay that's not what he's done he's just he's just put the words in some you know fancy script and put it on a t-shirt hmm uh, maybe you, maybe you, you just want to apply that to life. Are you questioning his design? Not yet. I haven't seen it. Maybe the design is crap work back toward average. Yeah, maybe. Um, Hakeem Butler's been put on IR yeah. for the year. With uh, you know, people talk about the rookie IR red shirt. That's exactly move. right. This was right. one of the. This was the IR that means I don't have to cut you. Yeah. So you know the it's development. The it's development not great for a IR. Yeah. No, but it's that's what it, it's it's the development IR right. Yeah. It's we're gonna. We're going to say you're done for the year injured, but we're going to you know, teach you how to play. Keyshawn Johnson, the uh, sixth-round rookie, has a chance to make some plays, but they brought in Michael Crabtree, have Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, our boy Andy Isabella, the second-round pick. We broke him down a few weeks ago on the podcast, the same good and bad that came out of uh, you know, his college tape we've seen so far. So another – there's just a lot of question marks. It's a receiving core that could be okay. It's going to depend on Kyler Murray. The O-line can be okay. Can't wait to see Kyler and see David Johnson come back, be healthy, and how he's deployed in this offense. Yeah, and uh, Chase Edmonds, who was described as a bowling ball with eyebrows by, uh, what's that guy's name? Something Wolf, the Arizona Ian, no, Ian Wolf. the Arizona Cardinals radio broadcaster guy who sounds exactly like Jesse the Body Ventura. I just go by Another Jesse person none of our listeners have heard of. You just watch all Arizona I, I forget about it every year until the preseason because he's like the local guy, exciting. right? So you don't see it during their national broadcast. But then in preseason, obviously, those local yeah. guys end up being the national broadcast rather than, you know, everybody investing in a million and one national guys. So you end up hearing this guy. And every year I forget until preseason. It's like, hey, Jesse, the body's calling the game. One of the best parts of preseason. Really is. We love it. How about on the defensive side of the ball? Because we mentioned we really liked their draft. Well, they get Byron Murphy in the second round. Of course, Patrick Peterson suspended six games to start the season. Byron Murphy was our our top corner, but our top corner in a in a zone scheme in particular um, with some of his skills. Zach Allen, a pretty solid third round pick. Terrell Suggs comes in. Um, so kind of a mishmash of players here on, for Arizona on defense and still still have those question marks at corner even with byron murphy in the mix yeah i mean i think the defense generally as far it probably has more question marks about it than the offense it's just like the answers are less interesting you know the offense at least the question marks are surrounding this new and exciting scheme that's coming in and this new and exciting quarterback that's coming in and you know all the the potential that it has the defensive question marks are more this doesn't necessarily look great yeah and well Last year, it didn't look great on paper either, and they were 
it, it was tough because they lost a lot of games, but they were one of those teams that played a ton of zone and played a little bit above expectation, right? You know, they just they were just solid across the board. And if they have another year like that and that offense does, you know, give defenses some problems, I think it'll be uh, an interesting year for Have Arizona. you uh, seen their preseason grading for their cornerbacks? I haven't. Oh, I did recently. Not but, great. Yeah. Patrick Peterson is the best graded corner amongst them, albeit on just 21 snaps. And his grade is 66. Yeah. Uh, below him, there are 62, 62, 53, 50, 49, 46, 38. Uh, yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Byron Murphy's only played 30 snaps. Uh, Deontay Thompson has been solid but more as a run defender than in coverage so far. So that was not what we expected to see. And Zach Allen's been a solid run defender. That's, you know, Zach Allen is kind of like Terrell Suggs in that sense, where it's more of a run-first type of player who can potentially get after the QB. Um, Hassan Reddick, kind of a big year for him, former first-round pick, see how he fits into the new scheme and everything. So plenty of question marks in Arizona. So let me just sum it up by this. Chip Kelly came into the league in 2013 mm-hmm. with his college offense. And do you remember that first Monday Night Football game? It was incredible. No. So Monday Night Football, they destroyed the Washington Redskins. Okay. Destroyed them. Up-tempo, Michael Vick at quarterback. It was like our friend Bobby Slowick, who was on the coaching staff, admittedly they had no idea what to do. They had no idea what hit them. They were unprepared. And it looked like Chip Kelly and his offense are just going to take over the NFL. Feels like week one should be the least excused time to be unprepared for this offense. Just watch the college film. They're probably going to do the same thing. Right. right? I mean, you've had, plus, you've had the entire offseason to off get season. ready for it. They just weren't ready. They weren't ready for the tempo. They weren't ready for anything. So I don't know that Arizona's going to be able to do that just because Kyler's a rookie. You know, if Kyler was in year two or three and Cliff came in and they had. The, so I don't know if we're going to see that necessarily from Arizona, but I can't wait to see what happens on the offensive side of the ball there and just how uh, optimistic Cardinals fans should be with Kyler like, under center. His athleticism is the big X factor in all this because there's a massive de- a margin for error that isn't necessarily there for a you know regular quarterback just operating this offense. Right. Like if they decided that, you know, Connor Holiday or somebody like that was the answer to execute this thing, he's got experience in the system, he'll be able to get the ball out. If if the thing isn't working well, he's screwed, right? Because the guy's not going to be able to move. He's done. Whereas Kyler Murray, there's plenty of plays where this thing can break down. It's not going to go well. It's going to be covered up. There's going to be pressure. And he can still get on the move, make people miss, and make plays in a way that some of these other guys can't and kind of you know, paper over some of the teething problems that this offense is presumably going to have. He had, some, he had the highest rushing grade in the nation last year. And he's one of the few guys where I say, look, it's okay if you drop your eyes in the pocket a little bit because he does it to maneuver and then to throw. He's not a drop, your, drop, drop his eyes to run type of guy. The question mark is that athleticism translating to the NFL. So we'll be watching closely. But best case scenario, scenario for Arizona, I still feel like is like an eight-win season. That's if Kyler is really good. Yeah, he did get as a rookie. He did get chased down by a guy wearing number ninety five and looking pretty hefty against the Vikings the other day. It's not that good. probably doesn't happen in college. No, so that part's not good. So I mean, I think it's it's still going to be a rough season. I think for Arizona, but the development will be key there. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Rams. Zach Robinson led. Yeah, I mean he's basically running the show there by now, right? He's been on TV and all kinds of stuff. What's he doing on TV? 
Like during the, you know, the camera caught him on the sideline during the broadcast. Wow. I mean, you and I get more TV time than him. Well, that's true. Yeah. We don't yeah. have a, well, we do have a headset, I guess. We don't have a headset to the guy in the booth. Oh, wear this next time you're on the herd. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's, that'll be our contest. Next yeah. time we go on national TV, you and I have to do something more and more ridiculous just okay. to see what we get away with. Mm-hmm. I don't think we get away with this. I don't yeah, think we... yeah, Colin, I hear you great on my headset. That might have been yeah, that might have solved the audio problems from, from yesterday. People don't realize how difficult it is to do live TV sometimes. I mean, it depends. When things are going wrong, it can be really it can be quite problematic. Give a, give a little insight. We call it inside baseball, Sam. Behind the scenes, right? Yeah. You got the earpiece in, right? And you and I have both done live hits where the earpiece you can hear yourself. On a two-second oh, delay. A nightmare. That is the worst. That's by far the worst thing that can happen. You have to talk while listening to yourself on delay really loud, too. Oh, yeah. You have to keep it loud because you have to be able to hear the questions. Right. and It's not great. Yeah, try and keep a functioning line of thought and sentence coming out of your mouth whilst the thing you're just saying is repeating back to you loudly in your ear. Yeah. And no one else later. can hear it except you. Right. It's incredibly hard to do that. It's like, you know, it's hard to just generally keep talking if somebody else is talking at you, you know, loudly next to you. Magnify that, except it's exactly the same thing you're saying on loop coming back into your head. That's awful. I've had my, uh, my earpiece fall out in the middle of a question before on yeah. TV, too. So I just answered whatever I thought the question should have been. Well, that's what I thought I was going to have to do yesterday. Yeah. So we came in. You know, when you do these live hits, they give you a sort of ass-in-the-chair point, right? Where, like, 10 minutes before the hit, you put your ass in the chair, you do all the sound check stuff, make sure everything's working. So we did that, and I go on. Uh, I sit there, and the guy comes on. He's like, <laughs> can you hear me? I'm like, well, yeah, great. Not really. Uh, audio's a little rough at this end. So Tyler's like running around this room, you know, like jiggling all the cables, trying to check every connection, make sure it's not at our end. Um, and then the guy puts me through to, to Colin Cowherd, who's talking even more quietly than he is in the same static mess that's going on. I'm like, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I can barely make out what he's saying. Um, and then somebody outside the studio started talking. I'm like, OK, look, for the first time, like that needs to be silent out there because I can barely hear what's happening here. So I'm like, I've just about decided in my head, I think I can just about make out what he's saying enough that we can do this. But I'm going to be like listening out for Roethlisberger and then just answering whatever it is I want to talk about on Roethlisberger, regardless of what the question that's, was. That's how you do it. Yeah. That's how you're supposed and to do it. And then so we eventually get to the point. They throw it in live. By the way, at no point did they like acknowledge that there were audio issues in all this. It's just like crickets coming from them. I'm assuming they're trying to take care of it. And then we go on, they, they throw it live, perfect audio, no problems whatsoever. Yeah. And nobody notices. Right. And I'd been expecting to have to do the whole thing without hearing what was going on. All right. Los Angeles Rams. A good little side story there. Mm. So the Rams, we've talked about this quite a bit, an offense that, you know, has to be able to adjust to what the league's doing against them. They were fantastic overall last year. It's, you know, Sean McVay under center. They run a ton of play action, a ton of no huddle into play action they do a lot of things to keep defenses off balance they run a lot of 11 personnel that's three wide receivers one back one tight end they had to change that a little bit last year when cooper cup got hurt everybody talks about todd Gurley, his value we always push back against that and say look it's driven by the scheme even though todd Gurley is extremely talented there's some question marks now on the offensive line a couple new starters there so overall with this rams offense what are you looking forward to watching this season I mean, it really is the evolution of the scheme. And 
kind of in conjunction with that, whether the rest of the league has in fact caught up to what they were doing. Um, it looked like it towards the end of last season that teams had started to figure out what the Rams were trying to do and at least force them to come up with plan B. Take away plan A, force them to an alternate uh, option, and the alternate options didn't look great. Now, there's obviously caveats to that in that it was also along the time they didn't have Cooper Cup, who was a significant part of that offense. And there were, you know, there were some things, other things at play there, but they did look schematically to have adjusted. So has everybody figured that out at this point? Like, is that the default of what they're going to expect heading into this season? Um, and if so, have they figured out a plan B? Because plan B did not look good last year. In fact, not only did it not look good, it didn't look like it existed. Right. It was like it hadn't occurred to them yet. What happens if somebody starts flooding these underneath zones, forces us essentially to run the ball? What do we do? Yeah, so I think what we saw on film, and it was weeks 13, 14, and 15 where it started. By the way, as bad as Jared Goff looked in 2016 as a rookie, those three games were the worst three game stretch of his career. Weeks 13, 14, and 15 last year. In a season where he graded at 84.3, was a top 10 caliber quarterback by a PFF grades last year, but he had a 38, a 46, and a 47 at Detroit, at Chicago, and then against Philadelphia. His three worst games last year, worst three game stretch of his career, and his fourth worst game last year was the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots schematically Detroit kicked it off by playing a lot more quarters too high type of looks and I think what I think Detroit Chicago and Philly and then New England essentially said run the ball they invited them to run and we've talked about this on the podcast before I think today's NFL you don't you don't want to be bad against the run as in you don't want to give up six or seven a pop obviously that's not efficient defense but you want to try to stop the run with fewer players and essentially that's what Detroit was doing i think chicago was doing that they were sitting back saying we're going to take away the play action deep crossers those passes that you torch the nfl with the first two-thirds of the season and if you are going to run the ball we're going to trust our defensive line to do it detroit did that chicago did you know i just remember hakeem hicks blowing up multiple running plays and it wasn't because chicago was putting all their resources into stopping the run it was just up front they were winning the opposite of that happened against dallas in the playoffs Dallas employed the right strategy, but the Rams won up front. They could run the ball, and they passed off of it. So it's not just a schematic cat-and-mouse game. It's an execution game as well. So that'll be um, – that puts a little bit more pressure on that Rams offensive line because a couple right. of new starters, if they're losing blocks a little bit more, then teams can sit back more and stop that deep deep crosser to stop the pass game. Yeah, that's the other kind of question mark on this, this unit is what the offensive line does because that was a huge part of this – whole franchise turning it around was the offensive line went from being one of the worst in the league in a bad situation to being one of the better ones in the league in a good situation right now the situation stood should still be pretty good because you know sean mcveigh didn't become an idiot overnight um but the offensive line does have these question marks now they've lost a couple of guys they need to show that they can install replacements and not have the same drop off and you have to hope that andrew whitworth doesn't suddenly stop becoming or stop playing well because he's you know 127 years old he's old 86 grade last year 88.5 as a pass blocker still had it last year roger saffold moves on from left guard john sullivan who performance wise wasn't great moves on from center so the, it's those are the the two new guys right joe new uh, note boom brian allen coming in to replace those guys up front yep um so so we're looking at the schematics and let's just ask the question how much was cooper cup you know losing him 
their key slot receiver. Because when he's on the field, that's three pretty productive receivers. They're Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup. You lose him, and that was also a part of the offense failing for a few weeks. It was. It was definitely part of it. It, it certainly factored in. But I don't think – I think that if Cooper Cup hadn't got injured and was playing all the way through last season, we still would have seen the problems that were associated with teams understanding how to defend this scheme now. Now, maybe they would have been mitigated and the, the production from the Rams – wouldn't have been stymied so much but i think these the issues were still there and honestly losing him and sort of highlighting the problem may be a good thing for this team in the long run like had he been there and kind of masked some of the problems a little bit more maybe they would be less inclined to make adjustments and uh, and uh, evolve the scheme over the off season. but now that they've kind of seen okay this could be a real problem this year if we don't address it i, I think that actually could have been a good thing for them uh, as far as the running game goes, um, and as much as we always push back against the value of the run game, the Rams do believe, and the Shanahan disciples do believe strongly in the run game and establishing it and having it and using it and work and play action off of it. So they're going to continue to run the ball mm-hmm. and, and try to do it. Um, our only point with Todd Gurley, again, extremely talented running back. He's very, very good. But you can't just throw 17 touchdowns out there and say, well, that's why he's an MVP candidate he had you know twice as many carries as other guys inside the five all these different numbers that say look it's opportunity driven but he's good for what they do he is good for their scheme because he's they give him a few free runs into the secondary and if of all the running backs you're going to give a free run into the secondary Gurley's one of those top five guys that you want because of his speed and you know elusiveness at the second level right I mean it's an interesting kind of conversation because you know sean mcveigh came out and said something like the this game begins with establishing the run doing a couple of other things well um and that obviously made all these analytics people start crying because we spent the last six months us included saying that the running backs don't really matter um but with these schemes in particular the sort of mcveigh shanahan branch everything everything is built around all plays essentially looking like run plays by and large, right? This play yeah. action, this uh, wide zone um, run action look stuff. Everything functions because all plays look like a run. And then the one, you know, then you build off that and you create these play action plays, this trick motion, all this kind of stuff, right? So, but the issue is that the data essentially says that, like, that doesn't doing so play action fakes work whether the running game has been established or not they just work because you're showing something other than what you're doing um and i think the same is true for this kind of offensive system it's not because you've established the run and people fear todd Gurley and yada 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 it's just this is it's trickery it's disguise it's this is what you're showing run defenders have to react they have to react and then you're showing and then you're doing something else um so I, i think in a way it's true that yeah this Everything functions because it, it's it's all looking like the run game and, and it's built off the back of that. But it's not because the run has been established successfully that this is a successful scheme. It's just inherent that if you – it's a bait-and-switch gig, right? If you show somebody something and then hit them with something else, it works always. Right. It doesn't matter how effective that thing is. That's why, you know, in boxing or MMA, these sort of feints and then hitting them with something else, it works. It doesn't matter if the thing that they were feinting – is a less impactful blow than the thing they actually crack you with. It's the fact that they showed it to you in the first place and you react to it. That's the run game, essentially. The one other thing that I think the Rams might try to adjust to 
quick game with Jared Goff. And that was one of those things. They, they started to get it going a little bit with New England, but too late in the game. Instead of the whole world revolving around, okay, run and play action, run and play action, and that's how you start series, and that's how you start, or that's what you run on first down, Goff only ran 35, only had 35 attempts in the quick game. So that three-step game, getting the ball out with you know shorter route concepts, it's not necessarily his game. I don't think they love him in that department, but there were reports that you know, he looks a little bit twitchier with you know ball coming out of his hand a little bit better. That could be a way to replace some of the the run game and maybe just you know getting too stale and too dependent on it so just something to to keep an eye on to see if they strategically do that especially if teams play too high that opens up the underneath stuff so offensively that's the rams defensively all starts with aaron donald of course yeah best player in the nfl mm-hmm. uh, last year the big question mark was okay you got aaron donald you got adamic and sue Who's rushing off the edge? They had the best interior D-line situation, one of the worst edge situations. I don't know that it really mattered. Yeah. But now you get Dante Fowler, you got Clay Matthews, guys who are, you know, still reasonable getting after the QB. Michael Brocker's pushing the pocket. So up front, as far as guys getting after the quarterback, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult for opposing offenses. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still very much Aaron Donald and friends. Um, I just think his friends look a little bit better. I, I don't know if they do that much. Uh, like Dante Fowler was there last year. I think he deserved to be brought back. I think he's a useful addition to that, but he's not. You know, he's not a. I don't want to say he's not a valuable complimentary piece, but he's not really bolstering things that much. He's just a guy that's capable of making some plays, given all the attention that goes to Donald and the interior. Clay Matthews is kind of busted and done at this point. Um, I'm far more interested in a little bit further down the depth chart, guys like Okoronkwo, who's made some plays in preseason. Five pressures, four QB hits so far um, for Oboe. Yeah, and they've been talking about, you know, they like his ability to rush off the passer. He was a guy we like coming out. I think yep. somebody like that has more of a chance to work his way up the depth chart and start taking advantage of some of these snaps. Um, and then the back end is really interesting. The, the, the talent that they've amassed there and the sort of – the inconsistent talent, you know, guys like Marcus Peters runs hot and cold, even a keep to leave when he's put it together for a stretch is, is one of the best corners in the NFL. They were a tough when defense he, to pass on when Tlaib was healthy last year. Right. But when he doesn't, it, it's not the same thing. Then you you bring in a guy like Eric Weddle, who's been arguably the best safety in the NFL over the past you know number of seasons, at least one of the top uh, couple. You draft a guy like Taylor Rapp. Um, there's a lot of interesting players in that secondary. Yeah, I, I think they're they're one of the better secondaries all around, you know, in the NFL. John Johnson has been really good since coming into the league. So overall, don't forget uh, Troy Hill there waiting to be deployed in the playoffs. Troy Hill, did he perform well in the playoffs last year again? Look, it doesn't. You or don't did need you to, just start that narrative in 2017? Oh, I just started it. I, I we don't need to check it out again. Yeah, he was all right. Oh, yeah, I see, Troy, mm-hmm. playoff green. player. There's green in there. There you go. See, Troy is a playoff player. He gave up uh, one catch on two targets. Yeah, okay. on uh, 37 snaps in the playoffs. Well, that's, no, that's, I'm sorry, 22 decent. snaps. He didn't right. even play against New Orleans. Well, that was the problem, right? And they should have lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So Troy's just uh, solid. No, so it's a deep secondary, and especially if Peters gets back to his playmaking ways, because there were some times he was just a disaster last year, yeah. tackling in the open field, letting guys get behind him. Man, if he can just get back to making just just – even if he gives up the big plays but creates some turnovers. This is not a friendly scheme 
for Marcus Peters. It's not what he does well. Yeah. They're asking him to do things that he doesn't necessarily do well. Now, 60 coverage grade last year for him. That would be okay. yards per reception against him. Yeah, that would be okay if he did make those big plays, but a lot of those are predicated on the idea of playing a ton of zone and being able to basically watch what's happening. Yeah. Um, when he can't do that, you have to essentially honor your guy before you go freelancing and making crazy plays. It's harder, and you don't make those positive plays, and that kind of erodes most of what made you good in the first place. Like If you're not doing that, what exactly are you bringing to the table here? Yeah, and then so with him out there, and then what you know the inside linebacker situation again isn't great overall. Corey Littleton was solid last year, but um, you know, do they put Taylor Rapp, their second round pick? Do they you know deploy him more in and around the box? And are they another one of those teams that you know is starting to get lighter, throw more safeties out there? I think that'll be something to watch schematically. But Wade Phillips is calling plays; he's good. McVay's calling plays on offense; he's good. Want to see how that offense adjusts. Jared Goff, it's year five now. For year four now, sorry for him. You know, does he take another step forward? He took a big step forward last year overall, despite that really, you know, that lull at the end. Um, can he take a little bit more on his plate? So those are my big question marks for the Rams. Do you think they're the favorite still in this division? Uh, yeah, I think they have to be um, until we see otherwise. I mean, it will, I think we'll know pretty early in the season if – the schematic thing is going to become an issue. You know, if they haven't developed, if teams have figured it out, I think we'll know about that pretty quickly, and that changes things. But otherwise, I think they're the favorites until we see a reason to say otherwise. Do we have to spend any time, once again, explaining just how good Aaron Donald is? I mean, we just we run out of words at this point, right? Donald is so far better than anybody else doing what he does. It's not even funny. He's got the top two defensive grades we've ever given interior defensive linemen, yeah. right? 94.4 in 2017 and then 95 last year. Has continued to get better. 113 pressures, including the playoffs last year, 21 sacks. So He topped 100 pressures last season as a defensive, as an interior guy. Which is absurd. Edge guys get more pressure than interior guys because although they're traveling further, they're doing a lot of it without the quarterback being able to see them, which is the key, right? When you can see the guy coming at you, you get rid of the ball quicker, so it's it's harder. Um, but those guys, edge rushers, typically get a ton more pressure. D Ford led all edge rushers in total pressures with I think seventy eight, and Donald had a hundred plus. So he's that's it's insane. You should not be doing that. The, Donald is, I think, legitimately an unblockable force in the NFL if he has enough time. The only thing determining whether or not Aaron Donald is going to get pressure on the play is whether you get rid of the ball before it becomes an issue. and that, So that's the whole point we always make, right? The coverage versus pass rush debate. You can mitigate the pass rush a little bit. So he only had two pressures in the Super Bowl because everybody's like, oh, he got shut down in the Super Bowl. And technically he did yeah. relative to his normal production. But when you have a QB getting rid of the ball, you can mitigate a force like that. Yes. So that's why the coverage in the pass rush needs to be and Brady's average time together. to throw in the Super Bowl was super quick, right? Right. So that's, you know, and that puts pressure on the secondary to cover quickly, yeah. I mean, cover you, well, and then tackle. You can take away any form of pass rusher if you want to do it hard enough, right? Whether it's yep. speed of throw, whether it's dedicating multiple, multiple blockers to him, you can take away anybody. You just have to be prepared to do that. But that in and of itself is tremendously valuable. If you know that heading into any given game, they're spending a good period of time just plotting how they're going to stop you. Right. That's pretty valuable. Like every single game the Rams play, they know 
that the opposition is dedicating a significant amount of their week in prep to figuring out how they're stopping Aaron Donald or at least slowing him the hell down, that is something that not that many teams can say about any of their players. We'll wrap it up on Donald. My favorite stat, because we track double teams and you know help and all that stuff, his pressure rate on double teams would have ranked, I think it was third or fourth, or his win rate against double teams, third or fourth, when you just compare him to other guys facing single teams. Yeah. Crazy town. It really is. So the Rams still the favorite, NFC West, yes? Yeah. We, uh, there was an ESPN article that was basically the team of all time, you know, like the best players at every position across the NFL's history. This is their 100th season, Steve. There's, That's what I've heard. Big, big time. Um, and they had Joe Green and Merlin Olsen, I think, as their two defensive tackles. But they basically asked us, based off your PFF data, is there anybody that's played since 2006 that you guys could make a compelling case that belongs on this team? And obviously we don't have data on Joe Green and Merlin Olsen and all these other guys, but I think you can make a pretty compelling case at this point that it's hard now to envisage somebody having played at a consistently higher level than Aaron Donald is right now. Right. We've seen various players throughout the PFF era kind of reset the bar in terms of where we think the high watermark is and what people should be capable of. You know, for a couple of seasons, we thought Justin Smith was as good as you could get as an interior force. Then guys like J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald come along. Crushed all of right. that. Right, but yeah. at this point, it's hard to imagine anybody having played significantly better than Donald is right now. And then the only question would be how long they did it for. Right. Right, because Donald, obviously, he's still fairly young in his career. The, Joe Green, Merlin Olsen was like a 14-time Pro Bowler or something. So let's say conceivably he was playing at the same level. If he did it for 14 years, obviously that's more impressive. But I think we're reaching this point where it's like, okay, Donald is probably as good as anybody that's ever played this game. The only question remaining is how long he's going to be at this level for. Yeah, it would be fascinating to have some of those old great like. By the way, he's getting better. His PFF grades are actually going up year on year. That is that's difficult. crazy. All right, guys, quick break to tell you about NFL Game Pass. Of course, this is how you get to watch every NFL game this season, including the rest of the preseason action. You can watch that live. You can watch it archived. And then we start the season. So you get to finally see Antonio Brown with the Raiders. I'll be watching Kyler Murray all year with the Arizona Cardinals, as we say, every single week. You can watch all of these games, every NFL game with NFL Game Pass. The best part you can watch when you don't even live in that market. So if you miss the game, you check out the replay. They also have a nice condensed game if you want to fly through it. So Game Pass really has everything you need. I like to look at the coaches' film as well. So NFL Game Pass, whether you're trying to keep up with the preseason action or the regular season action, you just got to get that NFL Game Pass. So you can kick off the 2019 season with a seven-day free trial. Just sign up right now, nfl.com slash profootballfocusnfl. All right, let's move on to the San Francisco 49ers. St. Francisco, is that mm, what you were trying yeah, to? Yeah, not so much. San Francisco 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo, big uh, story this preseason. Coming off the injury, he had that disastrous one-for-six game where everybody was ready to uh, completely write him off. He bounced back a little bit last week. Certainly not going to go crazy in the preseason. Just a fascinating career for Jimmy G. He's got a much bigger sample size in the preseason than he does yeah. the regular season yeah. in his career. Don't worry, though, because he's just trying more difficult passes right now. That's the company line. 
That's that not a crazy thing to say. Throwing all Aaron the picks. Aaron Rodgers just said the same. Of course, thing. not a crazy thing to say, but it's also rather convenient. Yeah, all those picks I threw. I was just trying more uh, more risky throws in the preseason. I mean, it may well be true. It's I buy just it. that doesn't shock me. Um, it may well be true. It's just it's a very convenient thing to point to. So here's the thing with Garoppolo. It's a small sample size. We're talking like under 400 dropbacks in the regular season uh-huh. in his career. But in all of our numbers, as far as avoiding negatively graded throws, avoiding uncatchable throws, um, throwing positives, all of the things in our grading system point to Jimmy G being, you know, a top 10-ish type of QB. Like having that type of ability. Still haven't seen it over an extended period of time, of course. In his preseason work, has been well below his regular season work. And like I said, he's got about a season's worth of preseason snaps that probably you know, matter a little bit as far as his projection. So we ultimately landed in that, you know, tier three of my QB rankings a couple weeks ago, a guy that, you know, when you got everything around him can be pretty good. Um, but, you know, you, you get the Kyle, it's the same thing as McVay. Kyle Shanahan has consistently proven that he can elevate quarterbacks production. Did mm-hmm. it with Nick Mullins. A lot of people, including people at PFF sometimes, Sam, simply compare Nick Mullins production versus Jimmy G's production, and it's very similar. Mm-hmm. But Garoppolo's grade has been better yeah. over time. If that grade continues, over time, he's going to put up some pretty good numbers in that system. I like Mullins. You can like him, but not Gar- as much. Garoppolo's I, played better despite yes. what the stats are. I don't think he's been as good as Garoppolo. Having said that, he's also not played as much. It's pretty close, though. Yeah, but like, not just from a pure snaps point. This is like the Roquan versus Leighton Van Der Esch argument, right? At some point, just the length of time doing these things is also important, not just the number of snaps you were on the sure. field. I'm just saying, like, oh, like, so I, Mullins, it's, like, it's disingenuous may, to say that Nick Mullins with the same production has right. played better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, I wouldn't do that, but I think it's worth... I, I don't think they're directly comparable, even in terms of, like, experience, just because they've had a similar level of snap count, right? Right. Even because Mullins has all come in one right off the bat, you know, thrown to the wolves kind of deal, um, whereas Jimmy's has come over... a extended period of time over a few different seasons so i think even though snap wise they've got the same level of experience i think there's a a few different ways of measuring that that's all i'm saying all right so um offensively with the receivers dante pettis has really fallen out of favor there marquis goodwin still quite a deep threat debo samuel's been excellent second round pick yeah out of south carolina he's going to be a really useful part of this offense what's that He's going to be a really useful part of this offense. Yeah, they're using him on end of rounds. I mean, they're using him. This all is sorts it. Of ways. I mean, this is a team where a lot of people look at it and say, okay, their biggest weakness is at wide receiver, right? And I, on paper, I guess that's probably true conceivably, but it's also a system in which wide receiver is less important than other systems. You know, there are, there are teams out there where you need two, probably three good quality starting wide receivers. And then there are teams like this where if you have you know, an elite tight end um, like George Kittle, if you have an elite fullback, you know, which isn't an oxymoron still in 2019, if you have an elite fullback like Kyle Juszczyk, who's excellent as a receiver coming out of the backfield, if you have running backs, all of whom can be valuable contributors in the passing game, and then a guy like Debo Samuel who can do, like, multiple different things from weird spots and alignments, like, that is, I think, as a... That, I think, in this scheme in particular is every bit as valuable, if not more so, than having like two or three elite 
number one true wide receivers. Yeah, there's a lot of different weapons that they can deploy. Um, and as much as we love George Kittle and the high grade and all that stuff, he was schemed open. Right, but if you look at bit. and if you look, that's why it's important that a guy like him is good as opposed to you know that Dante Pettis is AJ Green. Right, right. Like that. I think the I, the the difference between a guy like George Kittle and let's just say his backup Toy Lolo. Like the difference between those two guys in this scheme is way more important than the difference between Dante Pettis. That if Dante Pettis was like AJ Green, it, I think it would have a bigger impact in this system in particular. Offensive line, one of those that's you know middle middle tier, bottom. I think we had him around twenty or so. Yeah, in our rankings, right? The interior does not look great. Doesn't look great on paper. Joe Staley saw it at left tackle. The veteran Mike McGlinchey over at right tackle. Right. I mean, he's heading into look. It's year. It's such an important thing to be able to put a pair of 10-year veteran stalwarts out there at tackle. <laughs> People don't get that joke. They just think we're idiots. Ah, Mike McGlinchey. Just, just listen to the old podcast. You'll, you'll get our jokes. Well, I mean, the joke is that he looks like 125 years old. Plus, grizzled veteran. our friend Bobby Slowick has moved uh, to the offensive side of the ball as a coach. Yeah. So that'll bump him up. Right. They'll be way better this time. Moved him from the defensive side to the offensive side. So what's your best case scenario for this 49ers offense and Jimmy G running the show here. Well, Jimmy G turns out it was right. He was just being risky in preseason to get better at those. Uh, he goes back to being, you know, a risk averse quarterback in terms of not making mistakes. Um, plays well. We see him connect better with George Kittle than the slew of quarterbacks that were playing last year were able to. Debo Samuel makes an impact as that uh, weapon. They are able to maintain a, a solid run game. I think this can be a solid offense, even though they aren't blessed with a, a ton of star power, uh, at certainly a wide receiver. All right, now the defensive side of the ball, of course, last year, if the Oakland Raiders didn't exist, the 49ers have the worst pass rush, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the NFL. I mean, yeah, they for years this team has been a, unable to find edge rushers to go along with their 57-3 techniques in the inside. Um, so they attacked it in a major way this offseason, both in free agency and the draft. So free agency, you bring over, or you go after D. Ford, um, who, as we said, led all edge rushers in terms of total pressures last year. Now, the only concern is it was essentially a one-year wonder, contract year kind of deal. Does he do that again? Right. Can he do that again? Because we didn't really see that much threatening. We didn't, that came pretty much out of the blue. Right. right? Former first-round pick, but had been pretty consistently not doing that for his entire career and then suddenly cannot stop getting pressure around the edge for the Chiefs last season. So if he is that guy again and Nick Bose is out there. That's the other one. With DeForest Buckner rushing from the interior. Yeah. All of a sudden that's looking a lot better. Right. No, and, I mean, yeah, Nick Bosa was the other way they attacked that in the draft. You know, one of the best players in the entire draft, a consistent edge rush fresh presence, a guy that had kind of, uh, dare I say, played better than his brother who was already yeah. you know pretty much hit the ground running in the nfl though it turns out he appears to be made of the same thing as his brother in terms of already getting injuries that seem to go on for a while um yeah i mean i think if d4 does that again if nick bose is the player we think he should be and hits the ground running the same way his brother joey did DeForest buckner is one of the best interior players in the nfl albeit at a pretty deep list throughout the nfl and then, you know, a, one of Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, one of those guys. I was going to ask of, about Solomon Thomas. Can, yeah. Can he do anything to, uh, you know, recapture some of that, that first round hype? Yeah. I mean, that's the big question mark of that defensive front is 
what exactly does Solomon Thomas look like 56 grade so far in the preseason right now on 55 snaps yeah and it's i think we're gonna see i think he does need that complete shift in alignment which i just don't see happening uh in this team not because they're never gonna play him there but because he's just not gonna play enough where he should be he's still getting deployed as an edge rusher like twice the amount he's being deployed inside that needs to i think at the very minimum flip the other way so that he's two to one inside and out then then outside. So either way, the defensive line looks like it's going to be much better. Yeah. The trickle down effect to that is I think offenses just have to think about them a little bit more. Perhaps change their strategy on how they attack uh, San Francisco as far as route concepts go and um, you know what they're doing against the the cover one cover three scheme that they like to deploy there. Does that end up taking some pressure now? off the secondary that was legitimately the worst in the nfl last year they had a bunch of injuries but even you know even when richard sherman was on the field he didn't look like his old self he just was never targeted right so can they they need to make a massive improvement as a unit so that's the interesting thing is they they get in theory on paper massively better as a defensive line and a pass rushing force which is huge not just because they didn't have any last year but because the biggest weakness on paper for this team is their secondary right and if you don't improve the secondary the only other way of impacting that is to improve the pass rush essentially um so they seem to have made a conscious effort to say no look we like the young players in the secondary we're not going to go out there and replace them all one year into this project we believe in their ability to take a step forward to develop to get better um and we're going to support that now, that's fine, but they need to be right. Otherwise, bad things happen. Yeah, they have, they have guys on the roster that I don't hate. You know, so other than Richard Sherman, Akella Witherspoon showed a ton at Colorado, just did not progress last year like we had hoped. Kawan Williams has bouts where he looked, you know, pretty solid as a nickel corner. DJ Reed, and we have, we've talked about Jason Verrett quite a bit. You know, the 100 snaps that he's been healthy in five years. <laughs> he's been fantastic out there, so he was well worth a roll of the dice there. They even have Quentin Rollins in there, Jimmy Ward. I mean, it really is a whole bunch of bodies more. out there. Can they piece it together? Like the Eagles last year, they got banged up. Right. And a couple guys just, you know, emerged and, you know, kind of held the fort a little bit. Even if the Niners can do that, they're a lot better, in a lot of better shape than last year. And even Richard Sherman last year was, was not great, but he was coming off that Achilles injury. And he's, you know, he's getting up there in years, Steve. You and I know you get old, things stop working as much. They take longer to heal. We know that it's a rough world. Yes, um, he's so way you know than us too. Richard Sherman is is another year removed from that Achilles injury, which are typically you know pretty significant injuries for skill position defensive back players. So he's another year removed from that. Maybe he'll be closer to the old Richard Sherman than than he was last year, and that would be a huge impact. That would be huge. So look, the back seven just needs to be better. Yes. Middle of the defense. So even Reuben Foster, a guy that we loved, and we don't know how much of this was off field and all these different things going on, right, for some of these guys. But Reuben Foster, um, no longer with the team, but he looked like a great fit for the scheme and was going to be perfect for what they want to do. Just couldn't tackle in the open field last year. He was a disaster. Quan Alexander comes in, doesn't have a great history of tackling well. Mm. Um, Other than that, he's not a bad player as far as, you know, adding some athleticism to coverage and stuff so can they teach them how to tackle a little bit better they got that whole rugby style that they like you know coming from the seattle roots so a lot of question marks in the back seven and the niners having any sort of hope to challenge 
for a wild card spot essentially um, i think is going to hinge on the back seven more probably than even the offense yeah um i like that that other than <laughs> other than the inability to tackle Quan alexander's a good linebacker well it's one of those things where he's made he's made big plays throughout his, he can make he makes plays on the ball you run this cover three scheme where you have to run the seam have some athleticism so like i could i could see why people would like him a little bit i wouldn't spend that kind of money on him but i could see why they would like Quan alexander this is the nuance to you can't like i wouldn't just look at the pff grade and say they're all bad therefore he's bad you try to see what they're looking for there and then try to mitigate some of his weaknesses. The good news is that so far, the early returns in the preseason are great. We've got one tackle, no misses. 100%. That's a 100% record. That's great. That's way better than he's managed in the past. Sit him. The rest of... Uh, now, he's criticized PFF in the past, too. Well, yeah. I mean, I've... It, look, this is perfectly fair, right? You criticize us, and I'm, I'm going to criticize you being able to tackle a guy. So how about we both aim to get better? We're all just trying to get better here. Right. So, overall, what are you thinking for the Niners this year in the NFC West? I mean, I think the defense should. It, it all really hinges on whether that edge rush thing was successful, right? Does D. Ford repeat what we showed last year? Does Nick Bosa hit the ground running? Um, and does that give them this edge rush that they haven't had in previous seasons? I think I don't hate their idea of we have faith in these players in the secondary, even though they didn't play particularly well last season. I don't hate that as a concept. I think it's... I think the NFL generally is can be very quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater when things didn't go well for a period of time. We know all too well that the sample sizes are small. Small things can happen here or there that completely change the perception of what was going on. So there's talent in that secondary, particularly if a guy like Richard Sherman gets somewhere near his best play again a year, an extra year removed from injury. And I do think that improving that pass rush should have a big knock-on effect on what you're asking those guys to do on the back end. So I think really that's the key is, did that solve the problem? Or does D. Ford go back to being a guy who has speed and doesn't get a lot of pressure and doesn't play the run? And is Nick Bosa going to spend the first year all injured and not hit, you know, right. like that's, those are huge. Injuries will definitely be a big factor there. But San Francisco, they should be in that feisty, pesky team. Feisty, pesky. Right? They should be in that mix as well. That's the NFC in general. All right, let's wrap it up. Last team in all of our previews, the Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson, he's got the big contract now, and he this is this is a great test case for building a team around a guy that you've paid a lot of money to, and a guy that we would say you know top eight or ten guy, yeah, that you'd pay, mm-hmm. and you take your chances building around him. My concern is how banged up they are at receiver, yes. and even on paper when they're healthy, there are enough question marks at receiver. Now that Doug Baldwin's retired, Tyler Lockett was fantastic last year. How much more? A lot of his passes, too, it's, you know, him running through the secondary wide open and stuff, you know, so how much of that, you know, can they, you know, duplicate? This This offense in general is endlessly fascinating to me Um, because, as you say, the receivers they're trotting out this preseason are amazing. It's like Tyler Lockett and who? Like, what? Well, they drafted DK Metcalf in the second round. He's been banged up. Right. Gary Jennings in the fourth round. Don't know what we're going to get from him. David Moore's banged up right now. He mm-hmm. showed a lot of promise last year, 2017 seventh rounder. But it's not a lot of big names. Jaron Jaron Brown. They have Keenan Reynolds. You remember the Navy quarterback turned receiver who didn't know how to play receiver? Still playing receiver apparently for the Seahawks. Um, so that is interesting. They are hell bent in establishing the run in a way maybe no other team is in, in today's NFL, despite all evidence 
to the contrary of suggesting. I mean, it's them and the Ravens right now. Right. The Ravens have at least a pretty good reason for building a bespoke offense around a guy. Seahawks, not so much. Yet, they have assembled this offensive line that would be well at home, like in the early 1990s, where you just, you trotted out five 320-pound guys and just had them lean forward and open up a hole in the run game. They, they are so committed to this run game in terms of running back personnel. You've got Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. They've got Bo Scarborough as a fullback on this roster at the moment. Like, this is a team that is just all out there to establish the hell out of the run, which is so amazing because you have Russell Wilson. Yes. You don't need to do this. All right, so it, it, this is – there's a lot of teams that are kind of like a test case for what – uh, the numbers point to versus conventional wisdom and all that stuff. There, here's I think. Let me sum up Russell Wilson's career really quick. Right, okay. early on they've got that great defense, and he just you know played. They people think he played game manager role, which he did, but at an uber level. I mean, because he's fantastic, right? Throwing the ball down the field, and there's a lot of games where you know he throws the ball 25, 30 times. Um, he doesn't have to go win a ton of games throwing the ball 40 or 50 times like some other quarterbacks. So I think there's this perception that he was protected early in his career. Though a couple years that they kind of let it loose a little bit, particularly 2017, was one of his least productive years. Just throw for throw, one of his least productive years. So I think there's this perception that in 2017, they said, all right, it's Russell Wilson's team. We got one of the worst run games in the NFL and go win games for us, and they don't make the playoffs. When the reality was he puts up a 78.8 grade, which is solid. It's fine. It it was his second-worst grade of his career. But they didn't make the playoffs because they couldn't cover anybody. And he's still not exactly thrown to the best group of receivers these last two or three years, right? Mm -hmm. So last year they spin it back the other way, and they're like, we're going to go back. We're going to run the ball a million times. And Wilson throw for throw was better. He threw the ball about 150 times less. And... They make the playoffs. And at a macro view, they're like, we let Russell Wilson throw the ball. We didn't make the playoffs. We ran the ball a million times. We were a game better, and we made the playoffs. Yeah. And then in the playoff game, the famous line from Brian Schottenheimer being like, man, we just didn't have enough plays. I had a bunch of good plays on the play sheet. I just didn't get to them. We only got to run 60 plays or whatever it is. When it's like, and, and they didn't, felt like they didn't establish the run enough. And they just, just there's not enough three, three yards in a cloud of dust. So... It, the other thing, too, that I think skews things is how pretty it looks when Russell Wilson works off play action. He works you know, play action. He's got the beautiful deep ball. And all these things happen. And that almost feel, it makes it feel like, man, we got to establish it so we can run that beautiful play action that Russell Wilson loves. And then there's times when you throw him an empty and he just doesn't see the field right and he makes a couple bad decisions. I feel like there's these handful of plays that skew the perception of Russell Wilson even within the Seahawks organization where they just don't feel like they can completely put it in their hands is that fair yeah in his hands no I think so I I think they trust him to be an outstanding quarterback for like 30 passes a game but if he has to throw it 40 times they don't want any part of that they just don't think he can handle it and and the thing we always say is you know his his worst passing game is still going to be more efficient than most good rushing games so you kind of take just if you give him five or ten more passes per game the guy's got the highest percentage of big time throws in the nfl over the last couple years you could say all they all play action whatever but 
he has the ability to make big plays. They they feel like a team that is hyper um, focused on the results of things as opposed to the process and the bigger picture of what the results should end up being long term. You know, so the Marshawn Lynch play in the Super Bowl, the Malcolm Butler pick, that kind of thing, right? It's well, we passed it, it got intercepted, right. bad. We should have run the ball, we'd have won the game, established the run, right? And that, not just that, but generally that's that seems to be this team's approach it's very focused on the mi- the the micro single instance things and that is that kind of determines what they're going to do with this stuff there's one other thing at play too obviously we've talked about how bad their offensive line has been mm-hmm. over the years so there's also this feeling like, well we're going to get him killed right i think there's this happy medium to find where it's like listen russell we're going to run more quick game we're going to get the ball out of your hands but we also don't want to take away your big playability. So there's got to, he's got to find this hybrid. I think other, we saw Andrew Luck do it last year, go from a guy who held the ball forever to a guy who got the ball out of his hands quicker well, with a little bit better scheming, better system. We've seen a guy like Big Ben go from a guy who likes to hold the ball forever and you know, extend plays, and he still does that sometimes, but there's also a ton of quick game and you know, passes getting the ball out of his hand. I would rather see them build an offense around that and protecting the offensive line in that way rather than taking the ball out of Wilson's hands. But, you know, they started the season last year with the ball in his hands more, dropped back over 40 times the first two games. He gets sacked 12 times. He fumbles multiple times. And, you know, they're 0-2 against Denver and Chicago. I mean, the other thing is that we talked about before, that NFL defenses today, you can't, ascend, you can't just establish the run by commitment to it and by want to. T- like defenses are too good at stopping the run now. They're too... Generally, there are two gap sound on defense for you to just say, I want to establish the run. We are going to run it 40 times in this game, and that's how we get it established. Well, Eventually, it'll wear you down and we'll win. A, it's because the NFL, there's just not a disparity of talent. Right. So, But the point is, it, that may have been a case before where you could essentially out-physical an opponent, and the, there was gap integrity on defense was too bad people weren't good enough at doing this and eventually if you ran the ball enough you would spring for 50 yards because somebody blew a gap they it doesn't happen that much anymore like the jacksonville jaguars were horrendous in gap integrity uh, a couple of seasons ago and even they weren't bad yeah like you know it would come up every now and again so you can't just decide to commit to the run in a way you in the way you used to be able to and say well because we're more committed than other people I mean, what's that going to buy you? Five, ten more carries a game? How many, you need like multiple ones. Of, you need multiple of those carries for somebody to blow a gap for that to make any sense. The thing I always come back to was that Detroit game last year. That was, and again, the, the, the touchy-feely aspect of establish the run and all that stuff. The Detroit game, they ran the ball 40 times if you take away Wilson's two rushes. 39 times if you take away Michael Dixon's one rush, okay? For 170 yards right about four yards per carry and russell wilson threw the ball 17 times very efficiently 14 for 17 whatever he was fantastic on those 17 throws that is the holy grail of run the ball games the problem is it was one out of 17 games last year and when you work toward that one game in the other 16 games and you don't get there then you get these run pass mixes that just are unideal even though in this particular game, it felt good. We did everything perfect. Run, run, run. And then when we passed, it was so efficient. And then won the game against Detroit. So 
Um, that's you know part of my issue with that whole strategy. So ultimately, I would put more on Russell Wilson's plate, even without those receivers, because he's a top eight type of quarterback that can elevate those guys. Yeah, I, I mean, I just he's too good for you to build an offense that protects him. I think at this point, and it's it's too detrimental to your team to do that. I just I don't I don't understand the entire approach of this offense generally. So. It is part of this the fact that they put so much money into him that they they don't have the resources because I don't, I don't like where they're not strong, which is receiver and in the secondary. Yeah, but I don't think it's a fi- like I don't think that's a it's it's design. It's not finance squeezing those things. It's they just haven't put the money there. The offensive line has been better, and so as much as we talk up Russell Wilson. He does hold the ball too long. He does take too many sacks. He does have a high sack rate. He does have all of these things that I think keep him from the Brady breeze. Even, you know, Rodgers takes a lot of sacks too, but they're, you know, Rodgers has more consistent success throughout his career. Um, just kind of keep him from those guys. But he's still far better than the rest, you know, most yeah, of the rest of the league. So I don't know that he holds the ball too long. I mean, he does on some plays, right? But there, there are players that hold the ball. So, you know, obviously we time all this stuff and every mm-hmm. player has an average time to throw, etc. And there's, there's... Certain players you always see at the sh- at the far end in terms of how long they hold the ball. Some of them are at that end because they are just bad quarterbacks. It takes them too long to go through their reads. They can't find an open guy. They dither, they dither, they wait, they wait, they wait, and they get sacked. Um, I, Russell Wilson, I don't think, holds the ball too long as a general flaw in his play, but he holds the ball longer than other quarterbacks because by design – he does a lot of things that most quarterbacks shouldn't, and he feels the need to do in order to play the way he plays. So you see a ton of these plays where it's actually well blocked, but either he doesn't see anything open initially or for whatever reason he doesn't like it, and he starts dancing around behind the line of scrimmage. Eventually something opens up, and he finds himself a lane and manufactures a play. Now, do you say that he held the ball too long on that play because it, it caused pressure that shouldn't have been there because it was a well-blocked pocket to begin with, and that's undermining his offensive lineman, and therefore it's inherently bad, even though ultimately he was able to manufacture space where space, or he at least didn't see space to begin with, and created a positive play. I kinda, I'm kind of leaning towards this idea that he holds the ball as long as he needs to hold the ball, which is different to some of these other quarterbacks but is the way he plays at his best yeah so he, do, he does create a lot of big plays late in the down there, he also i think like aaron Rodgers, could take a few more plays within the structure of the scheme yeah i'm not going to go to that extreme level where people say oh russell wilson can't play from the pocket i mean that's absurd he's yes very efficient from the pocket especially on first reads there are some second read things that he could do a little bit better he could do a better job of not bringing pressure upon himself so offensively they're going to try to establish the run a ton. Chris Carson has been by far their best running back. Sorry about Rashad Penny, who you really likes coming out. But Carson's good. It's not too late. Um, you know, him running the ball efficiently will help if they're trying to use him a lot. But I think, you know, their offense is still going to come down to what Wilson does. And then defensively, they got to cover better. Yeah. It's just, it's just all there is to it. Well, the Legion of Boom is no more. Um, and that's like, like officially it's. There's oh, it's a, done. No one like it's, yeah, it's literally dissolved. There's nobody left from that group at all, um, which I, is... I think I think Seattle is like the epitome of how difficult it is to draft. 
scouts like to talk about their pre- they put so much time and effort into this stuff right and you got to know everything about every last player and seattle had this stretch where of course they drafted russell wilson right in in, a, in the third round they got bobby wagner in the second round they got sherman late they got earl in the first whatever cam chancellor mid-rounder brandon browner great fit for what they did they had this stretch where they drafted so extremely well maxwell i think browner was like a free agent from the cfl or something but maxwell they drafted. sorry dra- well, just oh, sorry team building in general but they drafted extremely well browner you're right was an interesting case all around but they just they couldn't duplicate that and that's part of the reason why the roster is where it is you know they stopped drafting volume for a couple of years and when you draft volume you give yourself more chances you cannot rely on whatever the hit rate is if you if you have a stretch where say you hit on 60 percent of your main picks or 70 percent you just can't maintain that essentially yeah. it's gonna it's gonna revert back so you better give yourself more chances i think that's where at a macro level that's where seattle is right now yeah it really is they they got so much credit for the group for the job that group did over like a two-year stretch of drafting where they assembled this incredible nucleus of the team that went to super bowls now if you want to credit them just for that that's fine but that there was this mythology that built up around it was uh, oh they're incredible they draft better than anybody else this is going to be the foundation of this team right and what we basically discovered is that wasn't true i don't want to say they got lucky for a two-year stretch but essentially they hit on a bunch of players for two years and then weren't able to replicate that going forward Um, and that's really the story of almost everybody's drafting is that sure you find gems every now and again sometimes you hit a bunch of them at the same time but ultimately almost everybody is shooting at about the same level they also gave up top picks for percy harvin Sidney rice was in that mix too right percy harvin Sidney rice and jimmy graham right they were giving up they didn't give up they were giving up yeah top couple of rounds value and stuff right for for those types of guys so that's what hurts the roster ultimately and that's why you know Shaq Griffin we liked coming out Shaquille Griffin Mm -hmm. uh, we liked coming out had a pretty good rookie season he took a step back last year Trey Flowers major question mark at corner on the other side Um, they just don't have a they need these guys to emerge in the secondary I mean, safeties are okay. A defense does not look great on paper it's Bobby Wagner and a bunch of guys Wagner's fantastic best linebacker in the NFL uh, still have my boy Barkevius Mingo. I was going to say, you know it's preseason when you look up and Barkevius Mingo is among the top pressure getters so far. Love Barkevius. Man, still have faith. Puna Ford, drafted him. Yeah. Nice little run stopper. Jerron Reed getting himself suspended, so there's opportunities up front for guys to make some plays and, and become a bigger part of that. They, Despite Jerron uh, Reed having over 10 sacks, too, didn't have a high PFF pass rush grade, so that was going to be tough to duplicate. Right. So major question marks as pass rushers. LJ Collier, their first-round picks, banged up. So got to get after the quarterback better. Got to cover better. It's gonna, <laughs> that, this could be a rough year for the Seattle defense unless they just have... Unless they establish the hell out of the run on the offensive side and well, they never on the field. Unless the coaching advantage is that much that, you know, you know third year for Shaquille Griffin and... Shaquem Griffin and all in his second year, just all these guys just fit, and maybe they have hit on these mid round guys, but to this point, they've been kind of hit or miss. I mean, honestly, that's not an absurd uh, thing to bring up. The idea that maybe the offensive strategy is focusing on the defense protect and actually, the yeah, keep protect defense. keeping them off the field by trying to stay on the field as much as possible. Basically, play you know ball you, control offense. You know how you protect the defense? Yeah, by scoring more points in the opposition. Just scoring more points in general. But there's something to this idea of, in particular, you know, teams against, the, like, going up against teams like the Chiefs. 
I don't think anything frustrates those high-octane, fast-scoring offenses more than just making them sit there for 10 minutes of clock time while you chew up a, an 87-yard, 15-play drive that's all runs and two-yard passes. So, at plus, that keeps your defense off the field where they can't do any harm. Um, it's so, another I one mean, of those things that just happens so rarely, but we just remember when it happens. Yeah. It's just, it's just a tough strategy. To I don't implement. think it's a good strategy, but I think conceptually, there, it, there's, I don't know that it's a crazy idea to be like, our defense sucks. How do we keep them off the field as much as possible? I understand. And if you're going to do that, I would, you know, if you, there's two ways to do that, right? You either become the Chiefs by having like one of the best offenses of all time. That, that will protect your defense quite a lot, but that's quite hard to do. Alternatively, we could try and grind the, def- the opposing defense into submission and just keep our D on the sideline for as long as possible. You're that's easier to do, but... You're old school. I'm just saying that might be... Look, it's either that or they're just like going in the wrong direction. Which do you want to say? So I think ultimately they're going to be really competitive with Russell Wilson. If, somebody else, if DK Metcalf gets healthy and emerges as the deep threat we think he can be, that's going to be scary for opposing defenses. Don't sleep on Gary Jennings. Gary Jennings, I know you loved. Um, but it's, it's just a classic case where the paper team around a top eight quarterback is not great. Yeah. And we're going to see how good that, that top eight quarterback will get you at this various baseline, and then we'll see how the rest of the pieces fit to see if they're an 8-8 eight and eight team or a team that can sneak into the playoffs right. again. Russell that's Wilson, ultimately where we are. Russell Wilson alone puts them on that playoff borderline level yeah and then the case is what is what is everything around him going to do is it going to take away from that or enhance it i think that's fair the end that's it no more previews we should have just done one big show every team they all get 20 minutes God, how long would we have been sitting here for that long time yeah we did about an hour it would have been like a joe rogan podcast it would have been like a full five day, hours a of, nine to five yeah sitting in this in this in these seats plus we're so long-winded we would have stretched it to like 10 hours <laughs> You know, yeah. no hard outs. Just go. Yeah, I don't think that would have gone well. Well, I love it. You can watch all eight if you want. It's all on YouTube. You can listen to anywhere you listen to podcasts. We appreciate it. We're just breaking records left and right with the podcast. So we do really appreciate our listeners. Yeah. We are, right? We are. Breaking records? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're setting new highs consistently. Award-winning podcast, breaking records. It's just what we do here at PFF. Uh, do you want to tell the people about the weekend plan? So obviously it's Labor Day Monday. Oh, yeah. So the weekend plan... Um, we're going to podcast Sunday because yes. NFL news goes crazy Cut before day. the preseason. Is Cut Thursday. day Saturday. Cut day Saturday. We're going to have Sunday morning reaction. That'll be our early week podcast. And then after that, we're in season mode. Yeah. So we'll start. We'll get back to our – we'll have a weekly preview and a weekly review. So our weekly preview will be a week from today, next Thursday, where we'll tell you exactly what's going to happen in the Thursday night game. Are we going to continue that? Yeah. We're why not? Re- because we were so good last year. We're going to predict what happens in the Sunday in the Thursday night game, and we'll preview all the action for week one. Nice. We've made it, man. Well done. Off season. Well done. We have made it. Little. No. No. Still not. All right. Go get PFF Elite. It's over at PFF.com. We doing PFF 25 still? Uh, we just did. Oh. Hmm. Great. Well done. What do you mean? You just dropped it there. Was oh, it. Oh, 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 great. So 25% off. <laughs> Anything at PFF. PFF 25. You get 25% off. I would suggest PFF Elite. And if you just want to try it for a month, you can do that as well. So go check it out. All right, guys. Thanks. We'll see you Sunday morning.
quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.